0: Hi guys, let's give it a few more seconds, there we go,
1: are we live?
0: We are live, good evening guys, welcome to uh, The Accidental Journalist Live and Undrugged that's Series 2, episode 13, um, we haven't done one for a little while so it's great to be back Uh, Tonight, I am with Kevin Lane. Now, Kevin spent 20 years in prison for a murder. He did not commit. He was fitted up by the police. Um, He's going to share a bit about his story and a bit about his life. Um, And he's going to do something. He's done a lot of podcasts, but he's going to do something a bit different tonight. Um... Thank you, as always, to my sponsor, Mr. James Jeffries. Um, always a pleasure, mate. Kevin, um, thanks for coming on, mate. It's, it's, it's um, been a while since we uh, tried to set it up, but um, it's good to have you on, mate. Thank you for inviting me,
2: and I'd just like to say hello to all of your viewers. Um, I hope I can give you something that you find of interest today uh, and... It creates a worthy response. So I'll start with by firstly saying my book, Fitted Up and Fighting Back, is on Amazon, uh, Waterstones, and the website Fitted Up and Fighting Back. It can be um, purchased on all of those. The book contains information about my conviction, which is all... Uh, been substantiated and confirmed by legal documents within the criminal justice system. And it sets out a little bit about my life as a child, my life growing up as a uh, a child into a man, and subsequently the path that took me into prison and how I was fitted up. The book is received 4.9 on Amazon. uh, And I've had book clubs of 100,000 people saying it's the best book they've read this year notwithstanding a vast amount of celebrities that have actually purchased the book, documentary makers, etc, etc, etc. So it's not just me selling it. If the book was crap, I'll say it was crap, but it's been received really well. Okay. So let's start. Okay. Um, Grew up a young man in Hereford, Middlesex, little village in the countryside, beautiful village, uh, lots of canals, lots of lakes. Great place to grow up as a child. Lots of fun, not sitting indoors on computers. So you, you're playing in the fields in the country, yeah. And I think that's a great start for a child in life. Running about in the woods, in the in the fields, and so on and so forth. Um, went to school in John John Penrose hairfield Got expelled. Had to see a child a psychiatrist. Child psychiatrist said there's nothing wrong with him. You just got too much energy. Nowadays, they'll be sticking drugs down the neck just because I've got loads of energy. Um, but they said, there's nothing wrong with me. I left school at uh, 15, well, 14, actually. I had work release, and I was given four days' work release. I was sent to a new school, and I had to sit in a storeroom the whole day, apart from two half-hour lessons where I was allowed to sit in those classes. Um, and I was given four days' work release with a gentleman called Josh Clack, a local builder, who I went to school with his uh, daughters. Um, and then from then on, I went to beget an apprenticeship. Um, I had my own flat when I was 15. So I left home early. I was working for myself, obviously providing a living for myself. Um, I had two jobs working for Josh. And I worked in a local chip shop in the evenings and weekends to provide myself with a living. In fact, I was bringing home as much as a married man when I was 15. Um, The chip shop bought me in a decent amount, but I had to put the hours in, of course. And of course I was getting my my wages from being a laborer. I went on to do an apprenticeship carpentry um, for three years. Um, From there, I stopped doing that. I went to selling cars, um, mortgages, I've sold Tide shares. The mortgages I found more lucrative. I've sold Hoovers. People may laugh about the Hoovers, But if I see money in something that is legal, I will do it. Now, I used to sell the Kirby Hoovers, And I sold 24 of them in a weekend. That's a world record still held today.
1: Nice.
2: Through Kirby. And I delivered 16 because obviously finance and some people did pay cost. But my first week's wages were about £4,700 for those sales. And that is 20, I was 21 at the time. So you're looking, I'm not going to tell you how old I am. It was quite a few years ago, everybody. Um, from there, I went to prison for a kidnapping. I kidnapped a gentleman who I was informed that he had threatened a girl with a knife, and he hadn't. It wasn't him that had threatened that girl with a knife, and it wasn't him that had stolen the equipment. It was the other stormer. However, um, I kidnapped this gentleman, and I seriously assaulted him. In my mind at the time, I thought I was a bit like a Robin Hood man, where you think you can put the world to rights as a young man. You can't have people putting knives to women and children and threatening them. And I got a phone call, and I was asked to sort it out. Off I went. That landed me in prison. Um, I had two trials. The jury came back on the second trial and said, Found me guilty, but then come back and said they made the wrong decision. However, I still went to prison. However, the judge said he realised there was going to be an immediate appeal for bail and uh, an immediate appeal on the appeal. I told my barrister, do not appeal. I'm happy with the two years I got. I was expecting eight, two, two, two and two. But the judge said you took the law into your own hands, a vigilante. And some of the jury were crying, some of the men were shaking their heads saying, My God, what would we be done? We've we'll been forced into this because they were going to be put into a hotel again over the weekend. And they just come back with a decision. So that didn't go down very well. Um, so I went to prison for that. I served my time. We did 14 and a half months out of two years. So I went over a little bit. That was probably due to my naivety in that when I went up for parole, I was asked if I would do it again, and I said yes. So I wasn't very mature, if you think about it. I was more wearing my heart on my sleeve. Still say, well, I still believe what I did was right. But what I did was wrong. And I've subsequently since met the gentleman in restorative justice, William, I won't give his full name. And I was shocked at the the effects that I'd had on that man. And I'll tell you why. And this isn't I'm proud of it. And I want all of those out there that think what they are doing to people in the acts of crime and violence, have a little bit more thought. So the gentleman that I kidnapped, he suffers massively from post-traumatic stress. Won't sit in a, I took him out of a car, I took him down a country lane, I run him over a few times, I severely bashed him with an iron bar, head, legs, and he had fractures all over him, and then I threw him in a canal. C.S. Gaston slung him in a canal. I'm ashamed of those actions now when I've met that man and learned the truth. But that just showed you that I was fed an absolute load of lies and directed in the, the manner to kidnap the wrong man. And something, he, was, he also said to me that people in his own area was even told that he had done it. And that's not justifying it. So I went to prison for that. And I've recently met the gentleman on a number of occasions and it's done him a world of good in closing this now and moving forward because he hadn't been able to move forward in his life. So I've had a little bit of, um, not repentance, but um, I've had a waking up call for what I did there because up until recently, I still believed that I had the right man. And uh, I'm glad that some good's come out of this for Will. Not so much for me, but for closure for him. Um, and he says he forgives me. And I generally get on with him now, you know. I pop around and see him in that, which is quite bizarre all these years later. Um, I'd just like to clarify that, of course, it's important. that I served that time, came home, I set up a yard. I've always worked hard, very hard. I was, I was described yesterday as uh, driven and... Oh, you will always earn money with Kevin because I, I get ideas about something and I can see things in things that other people can't. So much so, just very quickly, I've designed a house that I'm having built in England that is going to fill a gap for a lot of people in terms of mobile homes. I've designed a home that isn't mobile but the same size as a mobile home but it is a solid build. So people don't have the shaking about the caravan, the bouncing about, hearing people fart through the wall. That's all gone. I've designed this home, it's taken me since 2017 to finally get into production. And I've, I've the first set of homes delivered into the UK in six weeks. And as of today, I've just come back from a holiday park in Cambridgeshire and I've negotiated a deal there, as well as homes on a country um, country club and homes in Cornwall there's 400 homes on there and I've been asked to supply uh, 80 to 100 on one and 20 on another and that's as of today I've only gone out of there yesterday and today and that's the response I've got based on the home that I've produced so it tells me I've, I've hit the nail on the head mm. and that'll be launched very soon so in terms of myself I've always gone forward and worked hard and I believe if you put a good day's grafting you'll get more back than you would do at crime there are those in crime that might argue with that but uh, I don't so I then set up this yard to do with rubbish recycling in 1992-91 um, again look where recycling rubbish is now same as camera security, I bought a security firm, which I've said this a few times on other podcasts, but I bought a security firm as a stepping stone to go into camera security. Now look where camera security is, it's massive. Okay, so I then went to Tenerife to sell timeshares. Um, I did Irish life mortgages and buying and selling houses in England at the same time. and I did very well with Irish life. I was fourth in the South of England on business within two weeks. Massive amounts of, of money, again, for a young man. However, I came back from Spain. I didn't like it out there. It was like a mini Britain. I went out there to get away from Britain. Of course, I came back home um, in December and I was arrested for a murder in January. That murder was committed in. in Hertfordshire, two individuals were arrested, Roger Vincent and David Smith. Roger Vincent and David Smith, particularly Roger Vincent, engaged in a number of confidential chats with the police in relation to this murder. I have, and I'm gonna have to be uh, clear on this, I do not mean Roger Vincent any physical harm. Yeah, it's been said recently that I am I made a few comments about him in relation to uh, uh, my feelings. But there was at the time I was received another police Osman warning. I get one every four to six weeks, something like that. And my life's in danger. People are there's an imminent threat against my life of people are going to be shooting me. Well, and they also mentioned harming my children. So I was a little bit volatile on that, but the reason why I do all of this. It's because I want answers in relation to the material that I have in my possession that has been disclosed to me within agencies of the criminal justice system, whether it be at ex-parte disclosure hearings at the Old Bailey that I wasn't present at because it was in relation to Roger Vincent and another. And it was a disclosure of public immunity interest material. So the point I made about... Vincent was that in another podcast, I said, there's three reasons why sensitive material will not be disclosed. And for those of you who don't know about PII or public immunity interest material, it is if it's endangering the monarchy, can overpower the government. I believe that's one of them, overpowering the government. I'm a little bit vague on that now, but I believe that's correct. And endangering a third party. So I turned around in a comment and I said, uh, it would endanger Roger Vincent's life. What I meant to say was it wasn't a direct threat at him, but other people may see that if it was, was come in the public domain and it came out there that Roger Vincent has been working with the police, then people would feel somewhat differently towards him. That's the point I make, but I don't mean him no harm. What I actually want are answers. In relation to the evidence that has been disclosed to me for my fit up, because I was fitted up for this crime by a corrupt police officer and two suspects. So I got arrested on January the 10th and I was taken to Watford Police Station. The police officer in charge of that was Detective Sergeant Spackman. He subsequently was sent to prison for four years for committing complicated frauds within a police environment. And that entailed writing out statements, forging driving licences, forging um, files where it said property would have been returned to the owner. Um, And he stole £160,000 out of the police funds. And he went down to births, deaths and birth certificates, got deaths and births of people that died to open up a bank account to have the money paid into. So the, the reason that I make, make this point to you is it shows you what he can do. If he's doing that within his own police environment, to steal some money. Yeah. Okay, now, he was in charge of the, my investigation. And some years earlier, I got arrested by Spackman for ringing cars. Unfortunately for him, I wasn't ringing cars with the people he arrested me for. I was doing it on my own. And he had to let me go. But he wasn't very happy with that. And he said, I'll have you one day. And little did I know, years later, he'd come back and get me and arrest me. getting me up for a murder. So the gentleman who got killed in this murder is a gentleman called Robert McGill. He was a local villain, very hard man. Make no mistake about that. He was a tough cookie. And he was slain, shot down with a pump-action shotgun and executed in a country lane in Hertfordshire. Gruesome murder. Roger Vincent and David Smith were subsequently arrested for that, and Roger Vincent engaged in a number of confidential chats. So I'm going to be doing a live podcast soon with a PowerPoint display, and I want answers from people within the criminal justice system Answers from Vincent himself and anybody else that can give some clarity in relation to this matter to how I was fitted up. And I will start by saying this, Roger Vincent and I were both jointly charged with murder. David Smith was um, released from the police station once Roger Vincent engaged in his confidential chats. I have Roger Vincent's custody record, Handwritten custody record where custody sergeant, death sergeant change. So you've got a number of death sergeant signatures on it. You've got Roger Vincent's signature on it five times on the front page, and a number of places internally on that custody record, where he has asked to speak to the police on a confidential basis without his solicitor being informed or present, and he signs it.
1: I want answers to this. Roger Vincent was acquitted by the judge's direction, without it even
2: going to the jury. Now, Vincent was kept in prisons up and down the country away from me, which is a bad sign. He declined a Cody's conference, again, which is a bad sign, because we want to sit down and discuss the evidence. he would have information that could have assisted me, which it turned out he did. I could never understand what was going on. I thought, how can I be in this position when the police summary says we've arrested, arrested two men, which was Smith and Vince. These two men can be connected to the car used in the murder. We can connect them by way of forensic evidence, and we can connect them with a number of other matters, whereas uh, they've got their jury out of porn. There was only, one was only seen at work at 10 o'clock in the morning, meant to be there early. Uh, the, the Ministry of Defence, he was meant to have been working yet yeah, records were never produced to show he was working there. The police never went and got the records. Spackman said by the time he went there, six months later, they had been destroyed. I have all of this in writing, so it's not some position or something I'm making up. And this is where the fit-up went. So Roger Vincent, this is what he said in his confidential chats, and these were disclosed, an ex parte hearing at the Old Bailey on the 8th of November, 1995, and it says to Roger Vincent and another. Well, I am not an- the, the other person because I was sitting in Belmarsh Special Secure Unit Why he's at court on his own. This is what the confidential chats say. Following the charging of Roger and Vincent with being concerned in the murder of Robert McGill, I spoke confidentially with Mr. Vincent at his request. He reaffirmed he had not been present when McGill was shot and was shocked that he had been charged with the offence. He wanted to do a deal whereby his charge would be dropped. In return, he said he would supply, through his solicitor, a statement accounting for his prints being in the car and he would supply on a confidential basis details of the two persons responsible for the murder. There's some bits here that have been redacted, so you'll have to bear with me when I, I, I can't comment on them, but the persons who put them up to it, including how much was paid, he stated that they had in fact been paid to kill McGill and they were responsible for another one whereby doesn't mention that it says whereby had been killed it's been blacked out. From the limited details he gave, it was clear that he referred to the murder being investigated in Surrey. he said that the killers had been paid it's been blacked out, he intimated that he names a family there. I can't mention that family's name. I haven't got their permission to. Uh, he intimated that the such and such family, including someone's name, had had an involvement. He stated that a thorough police investigation would net everyone involved, with the, the exception of someone who referred to, and I'm not going to mention that gentleman's name because he's dead, who he did not get his hands dirty. He wanted me to think over his offer. And he said he would get his solicitor down to the police station on Sunday. I informed him that any offer he decided to make would have to be properly negotiated through a solicitor. Okay. That was the start of his confidential chats. Now they are legal documents that he was present at court that were disclosed to him. Further to that, the fit up got worse. So once he's named me for, he named me for three murders. He was arrested for one. Yeah, he's mentioned three there. He's mentioned three there and put them on me. Until Roger Vincent had mentioned my name in this investigation, I was not a prime suspect. There was one call mentioning me, and I was put to bed. There was 20 police tip-offs naming Vincent for showing off a gun in a pub, calling himself Ronnie and Reggie, him and his Smith, saying they'd committed the murder. Um, and so much more in terms of the evidence against him with his fingerprints being on the car. Now, a gentleman who got caught with a car made a statement and he said that Roger Vincent and David Smith had approached him and asked him to burn the car. That gentleman's statements were withheld from me until 2007 and there was a letter from the CPS worker, Mr. Glass, who wrote to my solicitor and he said, he was dropping all charges on Bennett. Well, the reasons he was dropping charges on Bennett, who was paid to dispose of the car, was because if he hadn't, he'd have acted as being a doc with me and his statements would have been read out. What happened was Spackman went to him and got him to change his statement and said he got it off of a light-skinned man in a smuggler's cove pub. It's the same pub that Roger Vincent was reported to be showing off a handgun shortly after the murder. So these are factual statements and material. As well as that, a journalist called Sally Chidzoy for the BBC interviewed two police officers, one serving and one retired. They both said that Spackman had told them that he had to think carefully how to word a statement that he wrote out in the name of Smith, naming me for the murder, that was put before the judge as PII and that Smith said that he'd heard i committed a murder for his criminal associates in the area. Hertfordshire police refused to answer the BBC's letter and they said that how was Roger Vincent allowed to have association with Spackman when Spackman was reported to be his police handler? So Spackman stepped in to take over the case. Spackman was in charge of disclosure. I have that in writing. He was in charge of exhibits. I have that in writing, being told to contact him in relation to these matters. And I also have a document called the Holmes database. The Holmes database is a computerized system that takes every phone call, every action, every research. And in my case, there was thousands and thousands and thousands of these. And it's that thick, it's like computerized text. Who do you think was in charge of that? You're never going to believe it. The pillar of the community, Spatman. <laughs> so he's controlling everything. And of course, who slipped out of it? Vincent slipped out of the judge's direction. And what I'm saying is this if you are
1: charged with murder, joint enterprise, then surely, it should have
2: gone in front of the jury for them to decide if Roger Vincent had a case to answer. In that, if you are charged with murder, and this is what I want answers to, if you are charged with murder and you are given information in relation to that murder and other murders,
1: why didn't that go in front of the jury to allow the jury to decide? Why didn't Bennett's statement go in front of the jury
2: saying that Vincent approached him and asked to burn the car? As well as a wealth of other material in relation to Vincent. So Vincent made a statement to a psychiatrist and he told that psychiatrist that Spackman, whilst I was under arrest at Watford Police Station, shot up to Woodhill Prison and visited him. Woodhill Prison, and I had this in writing, again, I will keep repeating this, said that Spackman did not visit Vincent as a police officer, and we need, and we haven't, they said, we haven't lost our records, but we need to be contacting the officer in charge of this case, and asking him them questions. Vincent says, that when Spackman and him visited him, he shook their hands, and he said how he knew them. And he was a witness in a very serious case where he got accommodation from the trial judge, for being brave enough to stand up and get evidence against his
1: co-defendants when his life had been threatened. What happened there was, Vincent was a witness, he was
2: arrested in that case and got banned. Smith was in one prison, and a gentleman called Donilon was in another prison. Vincent was visiting Donnellan, getting notes off of him, and now I've got all of this again in statements from the police, it was meant to be giving them notes to Smith, preparing their defence. He was going back and giving them to Spatman. When it came to court, Vincent offered to give evidence uh, and he gave evidence for Smith against Donnellan. Donnellan got an 18 year ser- uh, sentence for grievous bodily harm and attempted murder.
1: Smith got 220 hours community service. Oh. I- wow, okay. And released. Um When
2: Spackman and Kennedy visited them in Woodhill, I was obviously under arrest in Watford police station. So Vincent says they sat down and began talking about the case and said they had a deal for him. And he pointed to the ceiling and said it comes from the top. So, all of you out there that said deals do not happen in murder, you are badly mistaken. Little boy blue in Liverpool. A gentleman in that gave evidence, and he was uh, he was given he was exonerated for the murder for giving evidence against his codies, whereas codies all received murder sentences for life. Okay, murders do mur- deals do happen in murders, and people are highly mistaken if they don't. However, Roger Vincent said this to his psychiatrist about that meeting. He said he told the police, he doesn't know anything about the murder, but he will say whatever they want. Now, that is a statement from a psychiatrist that Vincent went to see, and he told the psychiatrist that. So I'm saying this, who's lying? Have the police made this material up? If so, Vincent must, have, must be very upset about that. Mm-hmm. If Vincent has said it, then what has he done? He's cleared the police's books up with other murders that have brought him in my direction. Who's telling the truth? The police or Vincent? I want to know because they've both implicated me in a murder in front of a judge. And now I want answers to that. And nobody's given me answers today. And I feel that I am deserving of answers. And that's all I want is answers. And I want people who are in the criminal justice to say, well,
1: that isn't right. It can't be right if that was done. When we look at documents in the case,
2: there was a letter from Vincent's solicitor in relation to an informant hearing at the old Bailey. And that is mentioned by Vincent solicitor. so all the way through the trial, it's informant, special police visits in different prisons, special interviews, police interview went well, no problems. inmate on the phone saying he's going to get out early, inmate writing letters telling people to meet him in the pub on Thursday when he gets out. I don't know how he, how he, uh, he knew he was going to get out on the Thursday because my barrister took ill at the the end of the trial, right out of the blue. He was off for two days. And then the trial was suddenly stopped on a Thursday, when Vincent has predicted that he's going to be released in a letter and by way of phone calls, and he was released by the judge's direction. And I'll tell you why he was released by the judge's direction, because Spackman did a test run from the scene of the crime to where Vincent said he was working, where he was first seen at 10 a.m. in the morning. He did a run by a car and he did a, a, a journey by train. One of the journeys got him at 22:10. 10. One of the journeys got him at 20 past 10. But nobody included a journey on a motorbike, okay? On that note alone, because it was 22 and 20 past, the judge said it was too close to a proximity to go in front of the jury and he acquitted
1: Vincent. And I was sitting there thinking, how can this happen?
2: Out of the blue, this didn't seem right. So I I would like people within the criminal justice system to come forward, give me some suggestions, give me some answers. And I just want answers, I want nothing more when we go back to the paperwork, in relation to those murders, there's some the names of two police officers in charge of one of those murders. They are contained in Roger Vincent's solicitor's shorthand notes. Not in my solicitor's shorthand notes, I'll have you know. And then subsequently to that, you've got Vincent having special visits in prisons. The police officers' names aren't mentioned, but they are written down in his solicitor's hand notes, which I've got copies of. Some months after the confidential chats and then the officer's names who were investigating one of those murders in his solicitor's notes, I was held in Belmarsh Special Secure Unit and the governor of the unit received a letter from Southern Police requesting to interview me under caution for murder. So I want answers to that. Up until Roger Vincent named me for those murders, the police were not interested in me. And when he did name me for their murders, he brought the police investigation in my direction. After he had those confidential chats, he had his photograph taken when he was charged with murder. And I'm going to show you this photograph. And for those of you that know anything about being photographed in a police station, more so when you're charged with murder, I don't expect you to look like that. Now, would you say to me, Jack, he looks extremely happy?
0: Uh, uh, Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd, I'd say he's... um... He's not looking sad to be there, let's say that. Not
2: when you're charged with murder. And I had, like I said, have his custody record. So he had his confidential chats with the police. He asked his girlfriend to bring the passport down to the police station. So they were considering giving him bail. Not only were they considering giving him bail, he was given a number of extra privileges. And again, on his custody record, written in
1: in pen, in handwriting. So I'll give you a few brief, um, <laughs>
2: a few bits of information out of this. So David Smith was subsequently released uh, for the murder when up until that time of the confidential chapter, the police were confident he was involved. I'm not saying he was involved, I'm
1: saying what the police say. Guess who was allowed to visit Vincent, after Smith was released, only
2: Smith's mother in a police station when he's charged for murder, visit from Pamela Smith, David Smith's mother. He then has a visit from his girlfriend. The visit was concluded after 14 minutes. He was then returned to the visits room again with his girlfriend. The visit was concluded after 13 minutes. He then had a phone call to his girlfriend, He was then... He a, and then he had a visit from Pamela Smith again, David Smith's mother. There's no record of the conclusion of that visit in his custody record. He was then brought in Kentucky Fried Chicken. And then he had a visit from his girlfriend. His girlfriend brought in the Kentucky Fried Chicken. He had another visit from his girlfriend. The visit concludes 54 minutes later. On his own in the interview room as well, I might add, charged with murder, highly irregular. He informed his girlfriend, oh, he was then informed that his girlfriend had telephoned whilst he was asleep and she will be visiting. Another visit. He phone calls his girlfriend. He had a visit with his girlfriend again, who brought Vincent's passport in. The visit concluded 43 minutes later. He was then taken to interview at his request and spoke regarding sensitive material to D.S. Spackman and D.C. Kennedy. Interview concluded 25 minutes later. you never guess what he was allowed to do. He was only allowed to sweep out his cell. I see that as he was taken out of his cell again to be spoken to, but they've done it in that manner. He was allowed a visit from his cousin in the visitor's room. There's no mention of who that cousin is. So he's got his cousin, he's got his girlfriend, he's got Smith's mother visiting him. I think his nan's going to be visiting him next. Who knows? But he's charged with murder, and yet he's allowed a, a, an unhealthy amount of visits by various people whilst under arrest for murder. Where most people who are arrested for murder are held in incommunicado. You ain't allowed out there. Let alone the person who was originally av- arrested with you for murder, uh, let alone the mother of the person who was arrested with murder, allowed to visit him on a number of occasions. He goes on, visit from girlfriend and visit his room, visit concluded, 38 minutes, given Chinese hot meal supplied by his girlfriend, visit from girlfriend, visit concluded, and it goes on and on and on. But you get the gist, okay? I got a cup of tea.
1: I was in there three days. Didn't ask for nothing, pulled the sheet over me, stayed in there.
0: We do seem to have frozen. I'll do my best to get him back.
1: Yeah, we've lost him. I'm um, gonna do my best to get him back. Just give me a couple of minutes to try and... Yeah, we have lost him. Um, let's see if we can get him dialed back in. <laughs> Here we go. I do apologize for this, guys. Um, these things do happen sometimes. I
0: don't know what happened there, whether it's my end or his end. Um, while we're waiting, um, I have two books out myself. Um, The Personal Apocalypse, uh, my memoirs, and uh, Between the Streetlights and the Red Lights, um, Escaping Human Trafficking. Uh, I spent six months working with escapees of human trafficking and it changed my life. Um, They can be found on my website, jwgreg.wordpress.com. We are trying our best to get Kevin... Back, but it is taking a a little while. If you've got any questions, guys, please do um, pop them in the comments, Um, and we'll try to get them to Kevin um,
1: when possible. Let's go through some
0: of these comments, shall we? Um, While we're trying to get um, Kevin back, Uh,
1: let's have a look. Hi, Dean. Hi,
0: Jody. Um, hi to my wife, uh, Joanna. Uh, hi, Amanda. Um, Julie Smith, who um, has a son, Mark William Osborne, who is currently uh, serving a, a life sentence for a, a murder he did not commit. Um, and we should be doing another part with his advocate, um, Julie Major, pretty soon.
1: Um, hi Keith, hi Race. here we go. Hello
0: mate, we lost you there for a minute.
1: So where did you get up to?
0: Um... So you were just you you were explaining about um, everybody and the mother had visited him at, um, at the jail. You, you you pretty much only had a cup of tea, and you kept your head down for pretty much three days. Um, and you were talking about um, you know this is highly irregular uh, in a, a murder investigation.
2: So my conviction. Goes to many corners of the criminal justice system. And I say that in a manner that it may be that um, I may be seeing it somewhat differently to others, but the Criminal Cases Review Commission was a government body set up to investigate miscarriages of justice. In the Criminal Cases Review Commission, the Chief Constable of Police at the time of the murder of Robert McGill was now one of the 14 commissioners within the CCRC. The CCRC replied to a letter to me saying that it was inevitable that staff within the CCRC knew police officers investigating my case or knew someone who knew them. But in the eyes of the impartial observer, (coughs) what
1: caused them to form the view of biased? What do you think about that? It's not right. You can't have people
2: in there like that. So, one minute your pals are convicting you, and the next minute you're overturning it. Mm. So, a year ago, I found out that the, the prosecutor, Mr. Kalashu, since passed away, died a little bit a month after through uh, a serious illness. At his deathbed in the hospice, Lord Chief Justice Rafferty sat next to him and said they were setting up a, a trust called the Kalashu Trust. For trainee barristers. Where do you think they were working, these trainee barristers? The CCRC. So every time my case went to the CCRC, I've got staff in there, the new police officers in my case, or there's barristers in there that maybe be overseeing my case. I don't think I've stood a chance. So, further to that, some documents came to light that were sent to my solicitor from an anonymous source. That catapulted me out of the high-security estate. I had the prison directorate visit me in prison and ask me if those documents were genuine and correct. He said, is that right what I've heard? I said, it is. I was subsequently downgraded to a cat prisoner 16 days later. And bang, I was gone. 16 years. Cat A. Hot, AAA I was. And for all those who say, I'm an idiot, there isn't no AAA, do your own work. There was AAA, and I was AAA, and I was made AAA at the request of Hertfordshire Police, because they said that I was connected to uh, Mafia, Russian Mafia, and high-profile criminals in England that would mount an armed escape. So I was made AAA just at the time when I swapped solicitors. A bit coincidental, isn't it? I was the only man in this country held AAA after Michael Howard introduced, on remand that is, because you had the IRA, who escaped out of Whitemore Special Secure Unit with an armed escape in 1994. Then lads and Andy Russell came down to Belmarsh unit on remand, and I was placed on remand with them. So you, you, Michael Howard introduced closed visits. So I was seeing a new solicitor through a screen. And those of you that are my age and are thereabouts may recall the Holston Pills advert. All the sugar towels, to alcohol knobby. Remember that? Yeah. That's what I had to go through. I had to hold up a paper through a screen to my new solicitor. At the time when Mark Howard also says that it was not illegal to bug legal visits because there was bugging legal visits for, the, for national security. And that any information that they obtained during those buggings would not be used to influence the proceedings against you. Again, what a load of rubbish. Notwithstanding that the visits at the time were porter cabins, So all it were. And you could hear people talk through the walls. Although I had a legal visit, I could put my hand behind me and touch the wall and the door would be to my right. It was only a flimsy door. It was like, a, you put your hand for it. Outside of that room was a prison officer, sitting right outside that door, and right outside the other door of my solicitors. It was a porter cabin size, so bear that in mind. It weren't solid brick walls. And you have to wonder the lengths that are being used against you to secure conviction with the armed escort, the helicopter, the armed police on the jury for 24 hours a day whilst they're going home or wherever they go on the weekend. 24 armed guard on the the judge. I don't believe I stood a chance. However, I'd hung jury in the first trial
1: and I got a majority in the second. Very, very close. The criminal justice system
2: is corrupt to the court. People need to understand that. People will bend the rules. People will push evidence under the table that exonerated
1: me or certainly would have taken the case in a different direction. And I have
2: serious concerns over my conviction in that my fingerprints weren't found on any items in a vehicle that they believed was used in the murder until after I was released from my first arrest, when my fingerprints were taken twice. During an interview, the police asked if they could take my prints. My sister said, well, we'll stop the interview now then. But the police banged me up in my cell, said they weren't taking the prints, and sent my solicitor home. When my solicitor had gone, they got my back out of the cell, I took my prints. They said, are you left or right-handed? After my left, I'm right-handed. What print do you think turned up on the bag? Left-handed print. We've received the um, the logging in book of that bag. That bag was removed from the exhibits office during my time of arrest. But there isn't no name on who removed it. But it was taken out again. Very peculiar. There was an organisation called Rough Justice that wanted to examine that bag and conduct a forensic test on it. Because I believe my fingerprints were put on that bag. And there was a way of telling what is on the back of that print, where it came from, because it had to have been taken off, whether it be glass or a wall or so. There'd be a print on the back of it. You understand? Hertfordshire Police contacted my solicitor and said the exact geographical location of that bag is not known. Gosh. All these years later, materials being disclosed to me, telling me that bag had been in that exhibit room all the time. So that's a concern, that they had that bag a number of months and run it through all the home nationals, computers, Ireland, England, Scotland and the home counties. No match to me. So we go as a little step forward to that. Panorama. Mark Daly, an investigative journalist, conducted an investigation into my case. Watch it. You can get it on fitted up and fighting back or YouTube. Mark Daly said that Vincent engaged in a number of confidential chats, off the record chats, as as has Duncan Campbell in his BBC documentary, Sally Chidzoy, numerous police uh, uh, paper articles. I'm using the evidence that's been given to me. And I'm asking questions as a result. But well, why can't I get answers? Because it goes right to the top. So, Mark Daly conducted a test with Tracy Alexandra and a number of her colleagues. During my trial, Callister told the jury that a print on the bag that belonged to me was consistent with gripping a Mossberg pump action inside that bag. I couldn't believe it. How could they say that? No forensic evidence to substantiate that. The jury have looked at me and asked to receive the fingerprint. And there was a line going across it. It's my bleeding line on my print. A forensic expert got in the box and said it was consistent with that. Yes. So as far as the jury are concerned, they've got my print on a bag, The police say, how's the gun or spent ammunition? And I've gripped that gun inside that bag. So the jury must have thought, I have a connection to the murder, or what am I doing gripping the gun inside that bag? Mark Daly, with Trace Alexander and their colleagues, the City London Police, their own colleagues conducted this test, said it was absolute rubbish. It's a movable object. It could have been a box of cornflakes in that bag. There's no way to say that that was a gun. And also, one in 90 people on the train get contaminated with firearm residue, just through contamination. There was one or two particles of dinotronin or, or nitroglycerin inside that bag. which They're saying is consistent with a gun being in that bag or ammunition. If a gun had been in that bag, or ammunition, you would have hundreds of particles Mm -hmm. inside that bag, not one. Panorama of has said, that evidence should never have been used to convict me. And there's not a... And then uh, a forensic, Susan Shaw of the Forensic Institute, said there's not a forensic science in this country that will oppose their findings. So I'm due to go back to, dare I say it, the Criminal Cases Review Commission. And for all of you that may may wonder why I've not gone back to the Court of Appeal, I was recalled to prison for a common assault. It kept me in there 18 and a half months, over 20 months, 21 months nearly. So I was released and I was taken back two months later. The Secretary of State said, get him out. We've made a terrible mistake. He hasn't done nothing wrong for the second recall the first call was for common assault, a non-custodial offence, and I was taken back to prison for 14 and a half months during COVID. I remember that. Yeah, disgusting for a, non, um, a, a non-imprisonable offence. So that put the brakes on me going back to the Court of Appeal. Also, you couldn't make this up. My barrister, Joel Benathan, is now been made a judge. He can't draft my papers. But on the Panorama programme, he turned around and said, the information that Panorama have uncovered is a game changer. Now, he hasn't said that lightly. No. So I'm now looking for a new barrister, and I'm considering a number of possibilities, and I'm looking forward to discussing with my solicitor the options that are at my hand. And I have to get on with the barrister, first of all, I don't want a barrister who's meant to be this and meant to be that. And we're not reading from the same book. Joel McNaughton said I'm the most uh, well-represented client he has ever represented because I studied the legal material in relation to my conviction day and night. I didn't have a TV for 20 years. Okay, I'd, I'd get a TV out of the office if Panorama was on or something like that and I wanted to watch something everyone was talking about do the criminal justice system. Um, there was your the odd occasion where I'd get the TV out to watch a film on a Saturday. That stopped because the film would be jumpy, it'd be a scratch CD, and I thought, what am I wasting my time for? I, I can be working on my case. So I worked on my case in my cell day and night, day and night. And most staff that have passed comment in relation to me have said, we've never seen someone work so hard on their case. In that, I had my own prison censor to handle my mail going in and out of the prison. And they said to me, you get more mail than Charlie Bronson, Kevin. I find that hard to believe because Charlie's known worldwide. But my campaign was so strong. that I had marches to 10 Downing Street, 500 people, lots of people supporting me, celebrities and such. I had a lot of support. And I wrote a lot of letters. So I wrote to a journalist called Heather Mills of Private Eye magazine, his Hislop's make, uh, paper. There was a number of journalists that was arrested in relation to when Sadiq Khan was arrested for a number of unrelated matters. So I won't go into them. Heather Mills was at Kingston Crown Court during a public immunity, not a public immunity hearing, a hearing in relation to the evidence in that case. What do you think came up in the evidence in that case that was seized from one of the people that was arrested in relation to that case, journalists and such? A file named the miscarriage of justice of Kevin Lane file that was owned by a police officer that he was going to hand over to the newspapers in relation to my miscarriage of justice. So I did some investigations in relation to that material before the court case. It was brought to my attention that, I won't go into how come it's brought to my attention, but it brought to my attention, well I will, it brought to my attention through newspapers and a journalist. So I obtained some exhibits in that case and I see that Thames Valley were involved in a Hertfordue investigation and, and also a police force in Essex I wrote to um, each police force and they all denied this file existed. And then Heather Mills is sitting in a trial and they mentioned my file. Where do you think it was put? Only PII, public community interest. Right, Unbelievable, isn't it? So let's just go forward a little bit more. And what I'm telling everybody here is, this isn't me flowering it up. This is what I want questions to. So in 2002, 2003, there was an investigation by Hertfordshire Police called Operation Cactus. You have to excuse me, I had my teeth done a few months ago. and I'm still talking a little bit funny. So let me have a drink. We'll get over that. All right, we look like Ken Dodd. So I came across that paperwork because that paperwork was being It was in a prison cell, and it it was held by one of Vincent's friends. I won't name the fellow because it will cause him some not embarrassment, but it may cause him some difficulties. That paperwork was copied for me. In that paperwork, seven point two and seven point three, it says that the investigating officer in the case refused to be interviewed by his own colleagues of the same police force that were conducting that investigation, and the same police that was conducting that investigation were denied access to all the papers in the case. Give that some thought. That is, I wrote to the Taxpayers' Alliance as a result of that. So that's a waste of public funds. Mm. Where is that investigation going to go? They've been denied access to the paperwork and the police aren't cooperating with their own colleagues. Mm. And why aren't they cooperating with their own colleagues? Worrying, isn't it?
1: Mm.
2: So, some paperwork came to light and I was downgraded as I told you. As a result of that paperwork, an investigation was ordered by the Court of of Appeal. And they told the Criminal Cases Review Commission, they're not interested in their opinion this time, they can conduct the investigation and
1: report their findings. That's it, not their opinion. You're never gonna believe this.
2: Half your police were asked to conduct that investigation. Not an impartial police force, but Hertfordshire police again. Two retired police officers conducting that investigation went into the police files where the paperwork that was sent to my solicitor undermining my conviction was meant to have come from. 20 days after that, investigation started. Those two police officers went back to the CPS. And again, I have all this in writing. Went back to Hertfordshire Police and said there was a conflict of interest. One of them was tutored by Spackman for the first two years of his career. And the other one had worked with the senior investigating officer on a number of serious cases over 20 years. And they said there was a conflict of interest so they were stepping out. Oh, and guess what? By then, they'd been into the boxes
1: where the paperwork came from. That investigation came to nothing. Again, now you tell me, Would you be concerned at what I'm telling you?
2: If you was in my shoes, and all I'm asking for is for Vincent to come forward and tell me, have the police put those words in his mouth and clean their books up for these three murders, or the police to come forward and say, no, Roger Vincent did tell us that, which brought us in your direction. And if Roger Vincent has made a statement saying, He told the police he'd say anything they want, but he doesn't know anything about the murder. And if that is correct, and he has said that, and he may have said that under, uh, he may have said that in
1: an interview room, then that means once again, I've been fitted up, and I want answers. Let's just go forward a little bit more. During that
2: investigation that was uh, springboarded by the Court of Appeal, Spackman was interviewed. And these are the pieces of evidence that paint a terrible picture. So, I just want answers. Spackman turned around and said that he built up a close rapport with Vincent over a number of years when he gave evidence for, uh, when he was, Brian Donovan got arrested and Smith got arrested. And he built, he, he got a close rapport with him. He says that. Vincent made another statement to say that after he was acquitted, Spackman went around his house to drop back his property
1: on his own. And Vincent invited him in and they began discussing the case.
2: I won't go into any more about that particular visit because he said we began, began discussing the case, blah, 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 blah. So come in, Spackman, i make a cup of tea. Sit down you just trying to fit me up for murder, but don't worry about it, come in. Vincent then goes on to say again in another statement, that Spackman campaigned back for a second time to drop off a few more bits of property on his own. I don't care what any of you lot say out there. If you're telling me that that's okay and you would have coppers come around your house, dropping paperwork back to you, And then you're inviting them in to have coffee. And I'll say there's something not right about that as well. But I don't think it's right. And it's matters like that that I'm extremely concerned about. And I want people to think about that and think about am I being, have I got malice towards Vincent? Have I got malice towards the police force? No, I'm too old in the tooth now to let bitterness ink me up. And when I started my sentence, Someone very close to me said to me, Pat Purcell said to me, he gave me some advice, he said, Kevin, don't get bitter. He said, It'll change your personality and that won't be good. And I thought, do you know what, I'm in prison now. I'm in and now for whatever reasons, life shuffles the cards and we have to play with the best hand that we're dealt with. Let me focus on that and get through this sentence. I'm in prison. Let's make it the best life I can whilst I'm in here. and Focus on that. And people used to say to me, why are you so happy, Kevin? I said, what am I meant to fucking do? <laughs> Walk around my face down here. Because <laughs> I'm quite a happy-go person anyway. I like to have a laugh. I like to have a good laugh. I don't I talk to anybody. I don't care who you are, but I'll talk to you, all right? If I like you, I'll talk to you. If, you know, If I've got a bad smell about you, then I'll leave you. I'll say, go on, clear. I don't talk to you. But um, I've lost my pattern of thought there now. So... During my sentence, I investigated my case. I sent over 20,000 letters and I obtained a lot of answers, a lot of material. Stuff that I don't think people ever thought I would get my hands on. And I've had people within the criminal justice come forward and say I'm innocent, i.e. journalists and panorama and police officers. And it's these people that are saying that Vincent was working with the police, and I've been fitted up, whether it be police or so on and so forth. So it's not just me screaming from the rooftop saying this, it's been brought to my attention by evidence within the criminal justice system that exists, that's been disclosed. And that police officers have come forward and said the same. It's not me whinging about doing 20 years. And I want people to say, well, he deserves full disclosure of the confidential chats and the information that was given against him, the PII material, and more so, I believe, that if Vincent and Spackman had an unhealthy relationship over a number of years, that Spackman was in control of, not just this case or the Delorge Donnanum case, a number of cases, again, that can't be right. What do you think? I think, what you think about what I just told you. If that is all genuinely true,
0: I think that you could keep asking these questions, and more questions would keep coming up, um, because the corruption is so plain to see,
1: and the injustice is so. It, it you know, talking to you, it. it
0: Looking in your eyes That's why I like to do these you, you know Not just audio I like to do the video So I like to look in In the eyes I keep look, looking
2: down but I should look at the camera Shouldn't
0: I Looking in your eyes I, I i can see On your body language That you are a genuine guy And you're You know you, 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 you speak, You're speaking from the heart And you're wearing your heart On your sleeve What I I deserved The punishment that i got but and that was nowhere near in, in in relation to what you you got for what you didn't do and you know you you you, you know you're fighting for your you're fighting to clear your name and, and, and fighting for your life you, you are you're fighting for your life and i don't i don't think i you know i hold my hands up i i i, I think i'd have um I think I'd have let it get to me a long time ago, you know, I'll my hands up to you and I, you know.
2: I used to get drunk. That got me through it. I'm not condoning alcoholism or all that, but I was in the gym. I was gym early for 12 years. I'd be in the gym at 8 o'clock in the morning, running 20 or 30,000 metres, or whatever, I'd be doing some mad workout. So I'd be pissed as a nut the night before. Can music as loud as i you know, soul, bit of motel, have a little bit of a dance invite a few people around. You've got to dress up because we're going out. And they come around. You can only come if you have an invitation. And on my record, it said, Lane drinks managing. He's not a problem. Never once did I have any problems with staff in the 20 years I was in prison when I had a drink. They said, I was good for the wing. I was good for morale. Um, And it's sort of like a working relationship. I don't want to say that too too much, but for those who have done a sentence, they will know that if you ain't no bother, you're a decent lad, you won't get no act from the staff. If you're an asshole, and you're up to all sorts, then they'll be on you, okay? The staff will come to myself say, Kevin, turn it down a bit. Fucking okay, hell, can hear you in the office. I'll be drunk and just bleeding. No, I've got no problem. Turn it down a bit, push the door up, and I'll carry on drinking. But that got me through the sentence because I strongly believe that it would have affected my mental health, and I've never said mental health before. There we go, it's the first time I've said that. I believe it would have affected my, my, my stability if I would have come out the other end without laughing and joking and singing. I'm waking up in the morning naked on the floor, which didn't happen a lot because the staff just woke me up and put me to bed. Very nice of them. Never give me no cocoa, but put me to bed so I wouldn't get cold sleeping on the floor. But I have had my bird arse. Don't take it as easy. When I was in them special secure units, triple category A, well, I didn't touch or see my family for 27 months. Okay, and you've got your kids crying up to you. They can't touch you, and they're, they're that far away from you. They can't even touch the screen, and they're not allowed to touch the screen. All madness, and so I'd have a camera on me here, two staff sitting with me there. If I turned my head to look at them, they said they would cancel the visit. That were the rules. But it wouldn't cancel my visit. And I don't mean this in any other manner, egotistically or not, but i would tell you something now. I used to fight with a mufti because they say people who are miscarriage of justice are more, more prominent to be violent during the crim- in the system because they're, they're re- rebelling. They, they can't get their head around it, so they don't know what to do, and they go, so they go nuts. All these went nuts in relation to being threatened. So I was put in a unit, I didn't like their rules, 11 minutes on the phone a day, that's it. End of. So you've got your kids on the phone, you've got your missus on the phone, you've got to have a call with them in, three, in 11 minutes. You get on the phone and say hello, you farted, and said goodbye. You've gone. And I, I spent time, a lot of time in strip cells and in the block. A lot of time. I've had squads of, of, of Mufti, which is men dressed up in white gear, piling into my cell, hitting me with truncheons and all sorts, okay? I did pretty good with them. I don't mind admitting it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've got wrapped up quite a few times and carried to the bleeding cells. I've had zip ties where they've zip tied my legs and my arms, um, like, dead, like a dead deer where they're carrying you. But I've had other times that you know, I've been fighting with them and they've been saying, Stop, 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 Kevin, stop, Kevin. And I've stopped and I said, Well, don't be wrapping me up. I'm walking to the block. I said, You've got to walk, you can walk, Kevin, but you're walking in locks. No problem. And I've I've, I've walked to locks. Normally, you're wrapped up and bent and carried there. But again, I said, well, I'll stop if you stop. If I stop and any of you lot get bleeding handy with me after, I'm going to get the first one of you that I get a chance to. As soon as I get a chance, I'm going to get one of you. No, that was the agreement. They don't get every handy with me now. I won't see them after. So on my record, it said, don't try and tell Lane Black is white, Because you'll have a problem. And that was it. And then a few years into my sentence, I thought, hold oh, on, the pen's got to be mighty than the sword. Although I did write a letter to David Jessel. I arrived in White Moor, SSU, and the sea of screws were waiting for me, because I was always, like I say, kicking off. And then, but I was always kicking off with the bullies. The screws that used to threaten me with violence and things like that, they didn't go down with me. and That used to come to a very bad ending for the staff. Only with my fists, nothing more. But whack, wallet, I got to sleep. He's threatening me. I had a fellow called George Shipton, a, a screw, give evidence for me against another screw. He said, That screw's been threatening him all day. And he threatened to kill him. He did say kill him, he's been threatening him all day. But that screw threatened to kill me. He said, If we ever get you down here, Lane, we we'll kill you. I had cuffs on at the time. I was sitting on the toilet. We didn't even take the cuffs off. I said, Take these cuffs off. We'll talk about that. You're going to kill me. Got back to the, the nick, threatening me. Making me stand there like a clown, lifting my feet up, trying to show my soldier my feet. Did you think I'm some kind of clown? So you fucking keep me on. I said, I'm telling you, I'm fucking fucking you Because that's what I like violence. I went mean, crack knocked him spark out. Hit the wall, slid down it like a bleeding. Like one of the best punches in the book. But that was what I was up against when I first went away. You, you was intimidated with violence, or you was you received violence from the staff, and then as a result of that, I then became i retaliated in violence don't tread on my toes, I won't stamp on yours. And I came into a system thinking, one, I shouldn't be here, so I was extremely unhappy. And then two, I'm being threatened by a great big bleeding muscle-bound screws. I want to beat a young college-looking boy up from the countryside. I didn't take too well to that. And subsequently, that took me on a path through the criminal justice, through the prison system, where I became known for this young lad who's knocking out the screws every month in the unit. And whatever else. So I landed in Whitemoor Uni after being convicted. And there was a, a con in there, I'm not going to mention his name because he's dead now. But he was a supergrass and he was in the union. And the IOA boys told me that uh, and another fellow pal of mine called Andy Russell, he said, he's no good, Kevin. I give him a set of Frannies, Franny keys. I give them to him in a, in a sealed marble tin. And Block, block cleaners at the time then were no good back in the day. And Andy was in the block for an escape that long light where the ladder broke on the wall and, <laughs> so he didn't get out. Right? He ended up in the block. And he said, "Get these, give this marble to such and such. That fella took the keys straight back to his PO. The other one found the keys. right? So the IRA boys and Andy Russell told me this fella was no good. So I landed in Whitemore Special Security. It had just been reopened after the escape in 1994, where there was an armed shootout. And then the whole security state changed with real severe implicated rules that were imposed on us. It was ridiculous. I was checked every 20 minutes in my cell, all through the night, checked. And I realised I kept doing that. Once I came off the cut 16 years later, there was no bugger there. So I landed. And I had two bolts on the outside of my cell and a chub padlock, you had to take them off. And then the cell door was opened by a, a room outside of the, the unit and a control center. So you can, you can imagine the severity of that. I exercised in a cage for 27 months. I didn't see further than 25 feet because it was you know, iron bars like that, steel that way, still on top of it, electric fencing, real mad. So I landed in that unit and this bloke was in there. Uh, we were let out. Some of my pals in there that I knew were shouting out to me, saying, don't kick off, wait until we've had a chat with Kevin. I think I'm not accepting this unit. On one of the criteria, they give you like, I think it was six square sheets of toilet paper. You had to use that and then get some more. I thought, I'm not tolerating this, bollocks. I shouldn't be here in the first place. I'm not having it, I'm not having it. So you, 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 you're going mental in your head you. I'm not having this. So I stepped out of the cell and I looked to the right and there was a fella doing that. Walking towards me, six foot four, Geordie. There's only one Geordie in here and that's a super gas. So I turned around, went up to him, crashed and went, right hand, left hook. Knocked him, spark out with a right hand, hit him with the left hook, put him in a little bit of a deeper sleep. I stood over him, I said, no one can ever say I've told him anything. That was my first conversation with him. Well, as I taken straight into the block, and there was a governor called Brodie Clark who was involved in the passport scandal some years ago with Theresa May. There may be some of you that remember him. Brodie Clark, bearing in mind at the time I was rebelling, he stepped into my cell. Now, he had no idea that I would have gone quack, knocked him spark out. I don't want to come across violent here, but imagine you being in my shoes.
1: You're going nuts. You can't, you just, what's going on? He stepped into my cell and he said, Mr. Lane, shook me hand. He said,
2: a little bit of an auspicious start to your stay with us. Ah. <laughs> oh, well, that's another fine mess you got me into, Stanley. <laughs> and that was my start in Whiteboard Special Secure Unit. And I had quite a few things like that. And I remember Bodie Clark, no, Governor Jagger. He was in the, the army, and there's been reports about him being an MI5. I don't know if that's true or not, but he came up to me and he said, "Listen, stop kicking off." He said, "Your cut is coming up soon." He said, "Just fucking stop cutting, uh, kicking off." They couldn't control me because that is something so secure and serious in the unit because. Every time I kicked off, they had to shut the whole prison down, the mainstream prison, bang everybody up, and come running over to the unit every time the bell went. That's how severe. And behold, I was downgraded. And uh, on the 16th of April, 1996, I think it was, and I was taken out of the special secure unit as a high-risk inmate, or 1997, should I say, sorry. And I was taken out of the um, special secure unit and put on mainstream TV. And I'll never forget it. I was walking down the corridor with a phone called Tony Daniels. Super. Black geezer, white cockney. All right mate, how you doing geezer? All right. You had a denim jacket on, white Reebok top, denim jeans, and white Reebok. We called him Reebok. And it was the longest walk I'd had in 27 months, in a straight line, which was down the walkway. And I went to the, the reception with Super. And me and him have remained bloody good pals to this day. And I'll tell you, you couldn't meet a more stand-up fella than him. And that man had an, uh, a fat one, or uh, a hit put on him, because he turned around and said, he see Vincent having police visits in Wormwood Scrubs
1: when he was in there. That ain't right. And there's people who've recently spoken about this, and they've said
2: a lot of cat's have a lot of visits in police cell in cells. Well, I can tell you now that the people I
1: know that I met within 20 years of being in prison that I associated with. Never had any visits in any police cells. So prison cells in the block, wouldn't have it. But of course,
2: some people are saying it's common knowledge. Well, for me, it ain't common knowledge. So my fit up goes right to the top because Spackman kept his pension right up till he was convicted. Other police officers in that investigation will be aware of material that exists that took the conviction, the investigation away from me. Spatman, I believe, has said, if I go down, you lot are coming with me. Because he couldn't have fitted me up on his own. They must have known what he was up to. And that's how come he retained his pension. And if my conviction is overturned, investigated. there would be a lot of questions asked about a lot of people. So Mr. Glass, the CPS worker, why did they want to drop the, the, the case against Bennett who was caught with a car? He's admitted that he was paid to dispose of that car in his own statement. So what on earth are the reasons for dropping the charges against him, other than having to disclose his statements to me that took the case in another direction, Vincent and Smith. I can't work out why his case was dropped because he's admitted to being involved in it by disposing of a car. He also says that people used to approach him to do such things. So he's what he does for a bit of extra cash. But it's matters like that. I want answers to that tell me other people who are involved in my conviction, and I would like people out there to give that some thought, maybe some advice, or start asking questions like them or signchange.org, a petition that's been launched for uh, you get so many signatures and you get a public review. I'm probably going to be all right anyway regarding uh the next podcast I'll do because there's gonna be an investigation into the evidence that was used against me that I haven't actually gone live with yet. And I'm gonna put the documents up on the screen and discuss them in a PowerPoint. Uh, And it's not gonna be any slanderous comments about anybody. And I'm hoping that say Vincent and Smith get to look at this paperwork and see why I am so concerned about my conviction. And why I ask questions in relation to them and Smith and Spackman. Because the police are telling me stuff. Vincent's telling me st- stuff in his statements, should I say, that are right, raising such questions. It's not me because I'm disgruntled or, you know, I just can't get my head around it. It's factual material, factual statements from Vincent and Professionals within the criminal justice system that have had something to say in relation to the evidence that was used to convict me, and the evidence was uh, not disclosed. And I'd I'd love to have some feedback from any of your viewers right now, or um,
0: or yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot to digest, to be honest. you know, I, I knew, before I got you on, I knew a little bit about your case, but n- not too much. I, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken to people that, that knew you, that have done a little bit of time with you, people like Terry Ellis. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, um, th- th- you know, they said that you were a stand-up guy. Um, you know, other um, all, all people in conversations were like, you know, they, they genuinely do believe that you're, you're innocent. So I, I... I i wanted to get you on for a while. I know it's taken a while. And I wanted to go at it from someone that didn't know too much about the case because I didn't want to poison the interview with that. I didn't want to come into the interview with a thought on either way. I wanted to be on the fence so I could make up my own mind. Um, now... We've just got a question from Julie Smith. Uh, She said, what was the sentence that you actually got for for, for murder? So um, when the judge
2: said uh, they asked the jury that the former to stand up and uh, the foreman, I believe, was a police officer, because at that time you could have police on juries. And I just had a feeling, I thought he gives me the suspicious feeling that he's a police officer. And I don't think you should have police officer on the jury. So I was found guilty. And the judge said that uh, I'd been sentenced to life in prison. Take him down. So I said to him, how long have I got to do? And he said, take him down, take him down. So it shows my na- uh, naivety at the time because if he'd have given me a sentence in court, that's a recommenda- recommendation by the judge that I should serve a minimum of mm-hmm. whatever he gives me. And he looked at me and said, take him down, take him down. I went down. Three years after I was found guilty on New Year's Eve, I'll never forget it, there's an SO, and he was a light asshole, all right arsehole, Across the board, everybody thought you were an horrible git. And this will tell you why. It was New Year's Eve, and he came down. I went down to get my dinner. He went lame. Went what? He went here. I got saved for you. He handed me my tariff. So the judge had given me a tariff, which means you can go home on your tariff if you if you deemed suitable. And it was eighteen years. Now during the the trial, win it. Was it Winnick? It was Winnick. Stood up in a box and he said that I was responsible for three murders and without a doubt I was a government on this one. Without a doubt I was a government on that one. Without a doubt I've committed other murders and they want the maximum sentence to be imposed on me of 30 years. 30 years at that time was the same as what the craze and people have got. I don't mean I'm anything like that but I mean I was thinking what are they going on about? 30 years. You're kidding me. So when he gave me that letter and it said eighteen years, I went fucking hell. That's the result. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I was gonna to have to do thirty years. I thought eighteen, that ain't too bad. I'll be bleeding whatever I'd be by the time I get out. And he looked at me. And he, thought, oh, he, he thought he thought can't be right in the head. He's happy as moon. He's got eighteen years. So then during the appeal process, if you're uh, you're not admitting your guilt then it means you are not accepting your guilt and you are, not, uh, you are not addressing your offending behavior. So because I was an appellant, I couldn't discuss the index offence. So I, I wouldn't do any courses that involved discussing the index offence. So I received a letter in 2010 telling me, after I received my tariff some years later,
1: that I shall remain in prison indefinitely you're dying in prison. i we obviously heard about that. I went straight back to
2: myself, typed another
1: letter.
2: I sent over 10,000 letters, by the way, and some of them were folders from a to Z, with news bulletins on the BBC about my conviction being unsafe and Vincent's confidential chats and all the rest of it, right? which is on the BBC. So again, it's not me, sad, it's the BBC. Um, to get the 18 years and then to get a letter telling me I'll remain in prison indefinitely, and then for the prison director, Danny McAllister, to come up to my cell, and wait outside my cell in Franklin in 2016, and tell me that I'm being downgraded. What oh, the hell I? I've brought the criminal justice system to the negotiating table, and I've proven that there's serious concerns about my conviction. Otherwise, I would still be in prison now. Mm. Unlike some people, who received a 30 year sentence, which was Vincent, and Smith received 25 years. And I ask all of you this yet again Vincent had two closed court hearings at the Old Bailey after he was found guilty of the murder of David King, because he's now serving another prison sentence for another contract killing. He? he had two hearings at the Old Bailey. He then went up on appeal. After being sentenced to 30 years, he had five years reduced, and Smith had three years. And they was given recommendations, which means you will serve a minimum of before we consider to release you. However, both Vincent and Smith are now in CCAT prisons. They're one step away from a DCAT. I know people, and most of your viewers know people, that are in prison now. There are no bother to the prison system. There are B-cats that can't get out of the bleeding system for one reason or another, okay, who have done 25, 30 years or whatever, still in high-security estate, B-cats. What does that say to you? Because Vincent was convicted, and Smith was a high-profile contract killing of David King in Hertfordshire.
1: I can't work it out. And most people I know can't work it out. That they've gone. They'll be home.
2: They'll be home before their sentence. They've been a DCAT in a year or two. Five years, I think they can get to a DCAT for now. I would never have got to a DCAT if that paperwork hadn't come out. I'll still be sitting in high security estate now, CAT A. Like many other people I know, they've done 20 odd years. 30 years, and they've only just got off the A cap to a B cap. And I'm talking to you, Jack, about people that have no nickings, that have no problems. They're just stuck in prison. You've got two people who've been known to have worked with the police, for own police documentation, that are now going home very quickly again and getting whatever they want. That's why I have serious concerns about my conviction and the people that are involved in it. And by all means, if anybody's watching this and know them individuals, ask them, come forward to my solicitor. And let's negotiate through solicitors. If you're saying, Vincent, that those confidential chats and your signatures on your police custody record, and those statements when you're saying that you offered to say anything the police wanted, but you don't know anything, if you're saying all those documents are wrong, And that means the old bill have fitted me up. And they've used you to do that. And then you must have concerns about that. And I'm prepared to not work with you. My solicitor will talk to your solicitors. But you must have concerns about that. And I'm not attacking you per se. I'm attacking the paperwork that says you have. And then if you're saying it's false paperwork, then we need to go back to the the police and the criminal justice system and many other... Departments and say, well, you've all forged this paperwork because you've disclosed it. And it'd be somewhat of a hard story to believe if it was prisons, different prisons, different police forces, all collaborating together to make you look bad, Vincent. Mm-hmm. So I'm asking you willingly now, I'm holding my hand out to you to say, if this paperwork is wrong, That has been disclosed to me. And I've I've apologised for the inconvenience and the problems you've had by people saying you were grass and people saying you were wrong. Because the police have then fitted you up to fit me up. But if it's right, and you have pleaded and worked with the police to fit me up, then you're no good dog. And the public needs to know that I've been fitted up by a person that works for the police to clean their books up. But if it's all false, I'll hold my hand out and shake his hand and I'll say, i feel so fucking sorry for you for what they've done to you because they've done it to me as well. And I, I have no animosity towards you because you've suffered what I've suffered. But the only problem is with that, Vincent, is that you've made statements saying that you offered to say anything you wanted. They wanted. You have made that statement to your psychiatrist. So... You wouldn't get those words out of my mouth. And you wouldn't get those words out of many of my friends' mouth.
1: Oh, I just said, I'll say whatever
2: you want. I'll name someone for murder. Viewers, give that some thought. I just want answers. So there's one last little thing I want to show you, because I don't want to chew everybody's ears and keep going on about it. But I've got these documents. And you can't, you can't see that, okay? But that's a letter from Roger Vincent, and he signed it. Can you see the signature there, Jack? Yeah? Yeah. That's a letter from Vincent. And on the other page, that's a prison record. And it says, police interview, PM. Yep. All right. So he had an interview with the police. He then writes a letter to his solicitor. Dear Ralph, now Ralph Himes was the Cratrin solicitor. He was also Kenny Collins. Kenny Collins is a Hatton Garden burglar, very good pal of mine. I picked him up when he got out of prison for the, bur- for the burglary, and I was with him when he went away for his fine. He couldn't tell me at the time that Ralph Hines told him that the deal had been done, I was going away. And Vincent was getting out of it halfway. Now we ain't bleeding fortune tellers. And anybody who knows Kenny Collins will know he would not make that up. And Ralph you he'd had Ralph Fiennes represent them all his life, and they were good friends. Right? Ralph Fiennes was a corrupt police officer who worked with the police to do deals, all right? To get people off, all right? And you could talk to him, okay? As old school criminals could. So Vincent's had the special visit on PM. Police interview, no problem. He then goes back to his cell and he writes a letter. I must have a drink for this. Because I want to get it right and I quite enjoy it. I'm probably being a little bit immature there, so I do apologise.
0: It's fine, mate. It's fine.
1: All right? So, dear Ralph. I've got the glasses. I'm getting old now, folks.
2: He says, dear Ralph, I've heard that the prosecution and my code solicitor... Is going to ask for the case, the trial to be to be post to uh, I can't glass trial to be put back when we're in court on the 13th of November and he's put this in writing. For all those who want to see this, buy the book, fit it up and fight it back. I don't make no money from it. Right? I donate the money to charity that, that is left over it. Amazon take, I think I get 11 pence or something, a book. And I donate 35 pence to four charities. So it costs me one pound 70 every time a book sold, but I give to charity. So I'm not making, I don't, it costs me money this book, but it's worth it because it gets the evidence out there. So Vincent says, you must not, and he's done not in capitals and underlined it. You must not let this happen. Ralph, I've been in the longest and we were prepared for trial on the 13th of November. If the judge lets it get put back, the new trial date won't be until after Christmas. And I'm not... I want to say and, and this must not happen at all. Costs. At all costs. See if you can sort something out, so I do not, so this does not happen. Again, he's put it in capitals. I want the trial on the 13th of November. I don't want to come back up here, because again, he was being kept in other prisons, moved around other prisons, when he was having police this Bullingdon, Whitson Green, and other prisons, okay? This must not happen. I want the trial on the 13th of November. I don't want it to come back up here for another 7 to 8 weeks just because the prosecution and my co-defendant's solicitor would like it to be put back. Make sure this does not happen. Thanks Ralph Your Sicily Roger Vincent. PS I don't want the case adjourned. Well, I just changed solicitors at that point and I've just been made exceptional risk. Vincent's wanted his solicitor after a special visit with the police on freeze landing in Winston Green, where they told him, I've just heard from the police that my case is going to be put back. Isn't it the solicitor that's meant to tell you that? Mm. Surely. And how about <coughs> you want to work with me and say, well, hold on a minute, there's evidence in the case that I know about that can help you. But he never, he never came forward and gave me answers to evidence that he was in, involved in, it implicated me that he could have come forward and said, No, actually, that ain't correct. This actually happened. And I was sitting in the dock, I can't go into it, I'm sitting in the dock thinking, well, fucking hell, where's all this come from? But let's just have a look at that. He's writing to his solicitor telling the child
1: must not get put back because he's been in the longest. Stinks. And he's having police visits. So
2: when he was in Winston Green. He was on D3 landing, and I'll never forget it. When he came down to the unit, as the trial was meant to start, but then I got it put back, Night, no. he was kept on another spur. So when we was going to court, he was in the box, next in, a, in, a, in the, one of the cells opposite me, right? In, you know, the CA box. And he says, Spackman's been around my house. He said, I'm getting out, but you ain't going nowhere. That's what he told my mum. And he said that in front of screws and old Bill in the cat-a-van. And you and I both know that will be recorded somewhere. And I want that. Mm -hmm. The spackman has been round his house during the trial and told his mum that he's getting off, but I ain't. Now that came from his bloody mouth. And then he's writing letters saying, I'm getting out early. He's on the phone saying, I'm getting out early, as I've already said, and he predicted the days in the
1: get out. Unbelievable. And I, I just don't think it's right. What do you, I mean, it's just, it don't sound right, does it? No, it, it oh Well, Winston Green, on
2: D3's landing, he says to me that it was on a spur that was being done up. Well, that's unusual because you're not to be allowed near any works as a cat A for escape classification reasons. Mm. Unless, of course, you're on a spur where they don't want people to be seen visiting you. You go down to the visits area, everybody knows it's the police coming to see you. You can say they're interviewing me about another crime. I sat there with a solicitor and said, fuck all. But not if you ain't got your solicitor with you and they're coming to have a chat with you. And that's another thing that's recorded in all the paperwork. The amount of special visits and the police that are visiting him up and down the country. So, that's all I've got to say, folks. Unless you want a few dancing lessons. <laughs> no, that that's that's
0: been seriously, I opening I mean,
1: oh,
0: just you know, some of the things that you you've you've said are uh, concerning. Uh, you know, I I I I won't lie. Um, yeah, some of it. Uh, You know, to be fair, it it sounds like it's come straight out of a King Craig Fairbrass movie. It's like... It's a lot to take in. Funny you should say that, because
2: in the name of the father, they were fitted up. And people turn around and say, Kevin, your case is phenomenal. You've got several murders in it. You've got several police forces. You've got... I mean, I've got a House of Commons document that says... uh, the Ukraine have suspended links with England, suspended links over a murder that Vincent said I committed. So my case goes to the very top of government. And I believe that I was treated accordingly as a result of what Vincent told them. What chance did I ever stand when another country is suspending links? And they're saying I committed a murder for the president of that country in this country that I was a hitman for the Russian mafia. What fucking chance do you stand? None. And I swear and I apologise for swearing. It's not very decent of me and it makes me look a little bit uncouth. I think
0: you're allowed to swear.
2: <laughs> well, you know, if I had a little bit more decorum about me this evening. I would refrain from that. But nonetheless,
1: I just never stood a chance. Mm -hmm. And people are saying that my case is so...
2: Like Reuben Hurricane Smith. I've watched that film and I thought, my God, I've been where he's been. I've seen the criminal justice and Stonewall, you shut the door, shut the door, shut the door, shut the door and lie. When they know there's evidence that undermines your case, you should never have been convicted. So, my place would make an excellent film. And I've been in discussion with a number of filmmakers now for a little while. And I've got a number of people of, all, of certain channels out there looking at making something with me. But I'm just taking my time, I'm not rushing into anything. I've had plenty of offers over the time. I'm looking to do a documentary soon that's going to break down my case by an organization, not Panorama, but a respected documentary maker, who's going to take my case papers, go away, and come back with what his findings are, Mm. what I present, or whatever he comes back in. I'm prepared to do that. Off you go. You tell me what your findings are. So I believe my case, and it isn't me being egotistical or putting my chest out, but it would astound people that what took place in the late 90s, right away through to the, 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 the late 20s, was still taking place within the criminal justice system within this country. It's green and pleasant land. And we're meant to live and abide by the rules that are set in place to so have a civilised society, not a corrupt one, where people who are paid to be in a position of power to uphold the law, not bend and manipulate it to suit their cause. And that's what a lot of people have to suffer, right across the board, not just me. I'm not a single lamb here. There's many lambs in the criminal justice system that have been slaughtered, and I'm bloody one of them.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm only now f- sort of finding out the severity of how some people have been treated, you know, obviously working on the Mark Osborne case, and um, I spoke to uh, Andrew Morris a little while ago, um, who spent 13 years on IPP, um, and that, which is an unjust punishment anyway. Um, you know, and I, I know a few people that were on um, IPP, Um, And some that are still in, that were sent on, you know, intermediate sentences for like six months on IPP and they're still in there 16 years later.
2: Yeah, it's disgusting.
0: It's disgusting and it's barbaric. Um, You know,
2: my kids used to come up and see me and my grandkids and my nephews and my nieces and that. And i say, Uncle Kevin, what are you doing in here? Well, Dad, what's going on? My kids knew because I was arrested by armed police. You know, on two occasions at my house in relation to this murder. Um, on one occasion at, this, at the house and one occasion at the court, I had a, a fight with some uh, rugby players in Newcastle and uh, got a nick for bashing them up. My you, and they picked me up off my feet. My little legs were dangling. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I got a nick for that, went back to Newcastle, got arrested and then got arrested by a gun. So my kids knew I'd been arrested for something serious, but... I to say to them, what have you been been arrested for? Why are you here? I said, throwing stones at low-flying aeroplanes. Because all the kids have tried that, haven't they? Mm. And then they thought, well, I better not throw any stones. But I could, what do you tell people? What have you got to say? You've got to make light light heart of it. Best you can. And uh, I think that's how I got through the sentence, but I'm probably waffling a little bit now.
0: No, oh, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. One of the reasons I like to do this live and why I like to do it unscripted, there are a lot of these things that are scripted. I like to do it live, unscripted and and, and on camera because you get the truth um, and you get the raw honesty. Um, and that's what's needed. Um you know, you can hear the passion in your voice, but you can also hear the pain, you know, and, and the, the humour that you use to uh, to try and hide some of that. And you can see it in your eyes. I, I met, when I first moved to this, this, this town that I'm, I'm now living in, I met a guy by the name of Sonny, God bless him. Ex-army captain served in um, uh, Northern Ireland, um also being in prison, and uh, we, we sat and we, we had a coffee together and he looked in my eyes and he said, I know that look. There's only two people that have got that look, some of them that serve time behind bars or serve time for the country. Um, and you can see it. Um, you, you, you can hear it in your voice and, you know, no matter... You know, I hope you might don't mind me saying, but, you know, you hide some of that pain in your humour, and I, I can understand that. If
2: Not many people can, know, Jack. They don't understand why we get so, so vocal, or why sometimes we may f- swear, as I did there, and I feel I let myself down there because I just don't think it's appropriate at times. But nonetheless, I think you can be more powerful with more cleverly chosen words which the prosecution do. They use cleverly chosen words in theatrical performances to get you convicted, hence why they go to uh, uh, acting classes and stuff like that and finishing school. But can I just say, I want to make an apology to Vincent's mother for the pain that she has suffered as a result, or may have suffered, through people asking questions about my conviction and So what I say about what her son has reportedly have done and said, and what he's made statements to have said. So Mrs. Vincent, I don't mean to cause you any inconvenience or or emotional harm. And I apologize to you if my actions are causing you that. But can you imagine what my family have been through? for those 20 odd years. And your son had seven years to come forward when he was three, when he was released from court. To answer my questions, to come forward and help me. We were charged with murder. If he says he's innocent, and I am innocent, then he should surely have wanted to help me. Your son, never came forward once, never sent any communication through anybody that might know me, because I don't know Vincent. And none of my, I don't, I don't, you know, I have no contact with him or any of his associates. But your son never came forward, Mrs. Vincent. And he never came to me and say, Kevin, those documents are a They've been fabricated, they're wrong, they're forgeries. And I want to work with your solicitor to say that the police have fitted you up. And he hasn't done that, Mrs. Vincent. And I do apologize for you, because you're a mother of a son and you love your son. And you don't want to see any, your son's name being tarnished or people saying things about him. But what am I meant to do, Mrs. Vincent? And I'm not doing it to cause you any harm or your son any harm. I just want answers. And I offer that olive branch out to your son to come forward. And if he wants to make a statement to say the police have fabricated those documents, then please, I would welcome that. And I would stand up and say that, come forward. And all these documents are lies and the police have fabricated all of them. And then we can work together to overturn my conviction because he hasn't done that. He hasn't come forward once. So again, I apologize for you for what you've had to endure. And I wish you didn't as a mother, and I genuinely mean that. And I genuinely have no concerns of any ill intent towards your son at all. Um, I just want to come, get my name cleared and go on with my life. That's all. And I hope you accept my, my sincerity and my reasons to
0: you. The question that that raises for me is if, if this... If this man is is innocent of, of of that murder, why is he now serving time for another murder? Um, you know, it's he's put his hands up to that murder, the second one. It, it, exactly it, it it doesn't sit right with me. Um, you know, I mean, Missus Vincent, your son. There's a wealth of people
2: that have come forward to me and told me that your son, he thinks he's Freddy Krueger. And he said he's killed more people than Freddy Krueger. The gentleman came forward, Mrs. Vincent, and he contacted my solicitor, and he said he bought the gun off of your son. And your son told him he had blown the girl's, a woman's head off with that gun. He'd it, it shot someone and it also killed a woman on the doorstep and got mistaken identity. That's a murder he
1: told the police that I committed. Did they lies, I'd like to know. Because there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And
2: um, the person that came forward and said he bought that gun for of your son, he stood up and said he would take a polygraph test. He would stand, take the stand and take evidence to say that Vincent, your son, I apologise for calling him that, had told him he committed that murder and blown someone's head off of it and he sold on the gun. And he said he would face the wrath or the wraith of the criminal justice system and the and the, the, the criminal criminal fraternity for doing so and getting in the box. Hertfordshire police went up to Scotland to see that man and when they left they said they were reporting him to the Scottish criminal justice system, they may be pressing charges. I don't know that man, I've never met that man. And what he
1: had to say to the police confirmed facts that he knew of the murder and other stuff.
2: And it's stuff like that, Mrs. Vincent, that have been withheld from me and come out years later, and so much more. And I just want answers to it. I don't want anything else. And I'm asking you to please give that some consideration as a mother and take my word for it that I'm not here to just cause your son any problems. I just want assistance in relation to the material that says he has worked with the police and redirected the an investigation in my name. That's all I want. So,
0: I can't say no more than that, can I? Oh, wow, well, um, what an interview! I I want to thank you for being so open and and honest. Um, it's I, I I've, I've got to admit, I that's, you know I'm going to have to sit back and watch this interview again and sort of digest some of the stuff that you've said because it's like walking into a bus full on um it's raised a lot of questions for me it's raised a lot of questions in regards to unsafe convictions um it's raised a lot of questions uh, for the whole jangba uh, Jengba, uh, uh in joint enterprise
2: Joint enterprise guilty by association. Well, I was joint enterprise with Vincent. We were charged by joint enterprise. So if he wasn't at the scene, I wasn't at the scene. So he was apparently by the Crown, said so he was there to identify McGill so I could kill him.
0: Well, what happened? How come he was acquitted? Because
2: mm-hmm. if he weren't there, I weren't there. What the bloody hell's going on? You can't chop and change evidence to suit yourself. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then and, and the joint enterprise. Ruling is disgraceful, and so is disclosure in this country. You have in um, Spain, for instance, there's no there's no um, PII. It's all whatever someone says about it, you, get to see. But the, the the non-disclosure part of the criminal justice system allows the police, as they did with Gareth Pierce and the Guildford Four, where they found the letter by the tramp who said that he was sitting with them the night of the bombing. And That was placed in the files and said, not for disclosure to the defense. Yeah. Stuff like that that sends men to prison for many years. Is that what our country's foundations are built on? Corruptness. Are we are we such a nation where we're sending people to prison for some of them for the rest of their life? Taking them away from their children. My children were five and seven when I came away, and they were grown men with children when I came home. I've missed a chunk of my life that I have no understanding of. I came home from prison. I didn't know about Bluetooth, sat navs, memorable information, passwords, all this bleeding palaver. It was like a new language to me. Different colored bins for different colored food, you know, different foods or plastic. It was bizarre. I've missed that transformation of mobile phones and technology and computers and I came home and thought, cool, I'm fucking Planet Pluto." Pretty happy to be home. And I loved it, but it's
1: not right.
0: Not right at all. It's, it's not. It's not. And it's it's. If anything, it's it's. You know, um, I'm in possession of um, of, of some documents um, about uh, Mark William Osborne. Um, you know who's serving a thirty minimum of 30-year sentence for a murder. He vehemently dies. He he denies that he he committed. Um, And, you know, like you, convicted on um, unsafe testimony, convicted on the testimony of a a non-grass, you know, somebody with multiple identities. um, And... People, people, in the, people in the public domain
2: don't really know what goes on out there with the deals that are done. I've got friends such as Peter O'Toole. He's a miscarriage of justice. He was named by his co-defendant who apparently committed the murders, and he put Peter in for the murders, and he walked. Peter's doing thirty-three years. He come away a young lad. He's a, a happiest-go-lucky fella you could meet. Don't mean you know why. I'm always happy. That's why I've gotten so well of him. He's only just come off the book. 20 years in the prison system to a cat. it's wrong. And if any of you out there can any way lend a hand, in any shape or form, just by lending your support to someone who's in a terrible predicament, then I suggest please do that, because you're doing a very good deed. There's a lot of people in the belly of the beast
1: mm.
2: and they can't get out and they turn to drugs or heroin. I haven't got the strength to get them through it. And the, our criminal justice system is very draconian. Get in prison, stay there, and you aren't going home. You heard people rehabilitation when they've served 30 years and just been looking at the TV going, click, 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 click. I read books all the time. improve my education, improve my vocabulary. Not the to do that, they haven't had enough strength to do it. And then they turn to drugs, they start smoking heroin, crack, whatever they can get their hands on. Spice, a new fucking death drug. Disgusting shit. No, it's just so sad that our criminal justice isn't so much like Norway, who've got the best economy in the world for quality of life and less
0: crime rate, because they forgive.
2: And they work out why the person did that.
0: And it's the way that they treat you in there as well. You know, I've watched documentaries on it where, you know, they, they greet you, you know, when you first go in with a shake of the hand, they, they, they treat you like a person. They, you know, um, the British... Prison system isn't about justice, it's about punishment, it's not about wanting to rehabilitate people, it's about putting a number on heads. Um, you know, and to get you need to get out. Uh, you, you need a postcode, don't you? To get out, and you know, for the smaller crimes, that's that's about it. And then you put, so you, you you're doing your shorter sentences, and then you get a postcode to get out. They let you out. They put you back into that um, same circumstance, that same group of people that put you in there, and then you're back on that vicious cycle, and then you end up back in there for a bit longer, and then they put you back out, and it's just. There we go, it's not about rehabilitation it's about management um, you know and that's, that's a big passion of mine wanting to get pe- a, lot, a lot of people that watch this and a lot of people that listen to this never been to prison in their life only know what to see on telly and, and what they're reading books um, you know and I don't think that they realise um, the, the, what goes
2: on? they got no idea. My book, Fitted Up and Fighting Back, there you go, i plugged it again. Read that book. I've had barrisers read it. I've had, I've had so many comments and responses from Twitter and such asking s- severe questions about it, asking questions that this is a grave miscarriage of justice. This man is innocent and the criminal justice system has failed this man and his family and the and the citizens of the UK because they pay taxes for trials that have cost millions of pounds that's what needs to be looked at you need transparency you need uh what I would call um you get QCs where you can have um oh it's just gone out of my head now you get a special counsel Special counsel can be an independent body who can look at PII material, who's impartial, apparently, to the prosecution of the defence to make a decision on what he's saying, based without knowing each defendant. I asked the special counsel, I got knocked back on it, to look into the PII. Um, but, like I say, the BBC have said that police officers have told them that Spatman was due, present during... Public community hearings in front of the judge in the judge's chambers, where sensitive material was put before the judge. And you've got these police officers saying they were statements that were written out by Spackman, and he had to think carefully about how he worded them. There again, I've said it again. And if you've got police officers telling the BBC that, and the BBC then tell me, surely I deserve answers. Have they, they just conjured this up and by wiggling up up some fellow called Kevin Lane is doing a big lump in prison? They've come forward because they've got
1: concerns about it. I don't, they don't know me nothing. I don't know them. That should give people something to think about. So I would say this, question
2: people in the criminal justice system and don't accept everything that's gospel when the Agencies within the criminal justice system say you're guilty because, believe me, you ain't. There's a lot of people who aren't. And i, I, I think I've pretty much said it there without boring everybody. Unless you want to know about something, let's talk about um, I'm a great lover. Let's talk about something. I don't know. I don't know I've made up a little bit since I come home. I've had a few years to uh, get a bit of energy back. I look a bit younger than I am. I've got a beautiful girlfriend, though. I'm very happy. But before, I've um, I led a little bit of life like a young man when I first came on for a little while. I
0: understand that.
2: And uh, but it's a it's it's a wasted uh, exercise that you're you're a, a, a man who's seen a lot of life, although you've been away for a while. But. Um, I'm just being a little light-hearted now. I haven't really got much more to say. I'm sort of like just joking around, but again, you can see that's the person I am.
0: Yeah, I mean, what what you said about that, you know, the 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 missus. I, I think you know, certainly for me, um, meeting my my wife was the big turning point because it, you know, I I I was at a, a food bank. I was homeless at a food bank, um, getting a coffee on a coffee morning, and she was serving um and she she didn't listen to the people that said don't don't take the notice of him is a bit of a dickhead and and you know she took me f- something to eat and you know she's a person how mad is that jack sorry to, i apologize finish i apologize but you, you know and it's um it, it, you know she she, she she oft, often say she saw the man that's sitting before you now and not the eight stone guy that everybody else saw not the criminal that everybody else saw not the dirty little drunky that everybody else saw she saw the man that is sitting in front of you now she saw the creative guy that had a a, a book or two or three or four in him she saw the the the, the loving guy that just wanted to be a, you you know, be be a father and and be a family man, she, you know. You have to have that ability to look past the
2: person that's standing in front of you as a homeless man. If I have a round, I have a hub, and once a week I distribute food to the homeless. And it's my hub, and I go out, whether it be in London, Camden, whatever. I go out every single week and I give food away and toiletries and whatever else people need. And I do that on my own back with my partner and whoever else wants to help. And I see people like you, Jack, who would once been there. I look at them. Do you know what? I'll say this. And if the CEO, Randy, finds out he's going to crucify me, it costs me to do that because I'm forever buying them tobacco (laughs) or (laughs) <laughs> I won't buy them beer but I'll give them food but I'll come on I'll come and get you some baccy 30 quid baccy is now bloody hell and I think oh please no, but they're homeless so i give away a bit of food I can see they've got something and i say come on, I'll get you a bit of backy. I don't do it all the time but you get your regulars don't you That you know yeah. you would understand and I do I've been where you've been in terms of I've been on the other side of it handing out food And I see a lot of those people that have suffered some injustice, whether it be personal or within the criminal justice system. And I wonder, that's a travesty. And I thought my problems were bad. And these people are living on the streets. There's the travesty in such a rich nation. And I'm currently looking to put a proposal to the homeless minister for sheltered accommodation for the homeless. Accommodation where they can have a night, bit of medical treatment and see a vet for their dogs and such. Mm. A warm room for a night and have a shower and that. And I've got an affordable accommodation programme to put to the government. that will smash any other programme they got in terms of cost. And I want to put these, these buildings up on government land I can erect within two months
1: mm-hmm. and get
2: thousands of people off the street on government land that has been empty for years, years and years. And I think that's an injustice. And here's me sitting moaning about my time in prison when there's people sitting out there sleeping on concrete floors on cardboard. Mm -hmm. That's the crime. And why aren't people being prosecuted for that when people are dying yearly on the streets due to this government not providing, or this country, accommodation for people just to turn up to and sleep? There's a volcano or a hurricane, they'd open up gymnasiums, they so want everyone pile in there. Yeah. Why can't we open up old war camps or old, old MOD camps or some old buildings, government buildings that are sitting there and put beds in there for people to sleep at night
0: off the streets? Yeah, that I mean that was the, the, the sort of idea that I had. You know, my my ideal thing would be to I, I don't know if you've ever seen these sort of Chinese and Japanese micro hotels, where it's they've they've got like a you know boxes with ladders up and down, and in this box they've got a little kitchen and they've got a sleeping area, and you know they use them for um, you know uh, they fry them up in many 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 other
2: situations. I
0: know I've stayed in ones in Amsterdam, Um, you know the, the the. they're quite spacious for a box. You know, you can do what you need. It's cheap. It can be knocked up within a few, few months. Um, and you can get many people off, off the street off you can the give street. them an address because that's the one thing that you need. You can help them get um, the identification. I was lucky I had identification, but there's many people on the streets that don't have it. And that you, you know, you get people saying, Oh, well, you know, uh, why can't I go to a hostel? Well, a lot of hostels need identification for you to go in that hostel, right? Yeah, so is. if you haven't got identification, you can't go into it. So then you're up. That's changing
2: a bit now though. They can get identification if you're homeless. Yeah. You know that. But, but it's still difficult for people because they've got to know where to go and they might be high on drugs or drink. They need help. First of all, you need to be given a place to get off the street. Yep. But we digress a bit here, Jack, don't we? And I imagine your viewers are saying, we're going to be talking about the criminal justice system, mm. not putting the well to rights. Wow. So it's a topical conversation for
0: people that need help. I'll talk about anything, mate. I'll talk about anything. Um, I found that as a as a homeless addict, I didn't have a voice. So I think that for me to not use my voice in the best way that I can would be a crime within itself um, And for me not to Offer my platform To other people that feel They don't have a voice Would be a crime in itself yeah. um, You know And the whole reason I got into it Was because I spoke to people That had been trafficked You know all around the country All around Europe As, uh, as, as sex workers As forced labourers um, And it broke me out and I saw yeah. that there were people that had wanted voices but didn't have a, a platform to do it. So, I, you know, I offered them with, with, with the book. And that's how I started doing this, you know. Um, I got oh. I, I, I threw me right like the pram in the first lockdown. I don't like being locked in. I don't like being told what to do. I hated that, you know. So I just sat and watched films all day. But in the second lockdown, working with my mate, uh, Jason Edwards, who talked me into starting this as a way to get my voice across and help other people get their voices across. That's when I really started to flourish. Um, I've been really, really blessed in the guests that I've had, guests like you. Um, I've had a few few people that have been, you know, accused of murder. I had uh, John Crilly, the guy one of the guys that took down Rosamund Khan on London Bridge from Fishmongers Hall, um, who, who spent many years in prison uh, for a murder. He didn't commit under, under Jengba. Um, you know, I, I've spoken to Frank Portinari, who was classed as a terrorist. I've spoken to um, uh, Ray Bishop, who was a drug trafficker and... Um, bank robber I've, I've, I've spoken to people in recovery I've spoken to celebrities I, I've, I've been really blessed in the knowledge that people have brought in the combined knowledge um, I'm a, a, a stout supporter of um leading and learning by example um you know and I've learned a lot from you tonight and I'll take a lot of that away with me um and then I'll take that into my next interviews um, because if we've been through a certain way of life, um, I think it's say, I I I think you, if if you can teach, teach. If you can't teach, teach. Because we need more people that are going to sit and be honest. There's too much crap that's going around. There's too much bullshit that's been told. Um, I'm going to be going
2: into schools hopefully. And talking to kids soon about crime, so I do other stuff as well like that. But in in, in relation to what I've been to talking to you tonight about, please contact me via Facebook, Twitter, and my web, website, Fit Up and Fighting Back, and ask me any questions. Any questions that you leave tonight on Jack's uh, uh, forum, and I will answer them as best I can. If I haven't got the answers, I can't answer, but. There's no cloak and dagger on me. I'll answer whatever they want. And for all of you, those that there's a, um, if it isn't true, what people say about you, it doesn't matter. You just, I'm not interested. Clear off. So, give that some thought. And please send your questions through and I'll do my best to answer them. Um, Other than that, I haven't really got anything else to say And to be honest with you, I've got to get back to work. So I've come (laughs) back today from a holiday park where I'm pricing to supply holiday homes, log cabins and such, which I import into this country. Um, And the phone's been pinning away for hours since I've been doing that. And I do apologize, but I don't want to lambaste or, or, or labor on any longer.
0: No, no, that's, that's, that's fine. Uh, I will put um, in the playback um, I will put a link to the book Fitted Up and Fighting Back, Mr. Kevin Lane. Um, I will put up the website. Um, I will put up your uh, Fitted Up and Face- uh, uh, Fighting Back Facebook page. Uh, a lot of
2: support there. Frank Bruno, Mick Conlon. There's loads of supports from various celebrities in the back of the book. The um, People would like to see and read about. Sorry to cut across you
0: there. No, that's, that's cool. I'm going to end it there, guys. Um, fit it up and fighting back. Get time. the book. Um, you can also get my books. I'm going to throw them in there as well. Get uh, them in there. On Amazon um, through my website. Um, I'll put that on there as well. Um, thank you, guys ever so much for tuning in thanks for all your feedback um, i will sit and go through it i will convey it to kevin um, if you've got any questions um, please do put them in there um, if you want me to pass them on to kevin i, I will do uh, i'll just contact kevin um, and i'm you know i'm sure it'll be accommodating thank you guys ever so much as always um, for uh, tuning in uh, and i shall see you next time Thank you
2: very much, everybody. Thank you for your time. I hope you found it of interest. Have a good evening. Enjoy your bank holiday weekend. Stay out of trouble and enjoy life. One life,
1: live it. That's my advice to you all.
0: Cheers, guys. See you soon.
1: Take care. Bye now.